0: Welcome to the Molecular Moments Podcast. Welcome to Molecular Moments. Today's episode, we're sitting down with Angela Luddick, Executive Vice President of BioAgilitics from 360 BioLabs, a BioAgilitics company, my new colleague uh, as of late last year. Angela, welcome to the podcast. Looking forward to speaking with you today. How are things? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: So hi, Jim. Thanks for inviting me on this podcast so a little bit about myself. Um, so my background is virology. Um, in my career, I've um, worked at biotech really for, for 15, 20 years, uh, leading biology teams. And um, post that really was a starting to my um, CRO career. So six years ago, um, we started 360 Biolabs. Um, but up until then, really, it's all been respiratory virus research for me. RSV, influenza, rhinovirus, and a bit of hepatitis C in there as well.
0: One of the things that I've found interesting is we've gotten to know each other as part of this. There's a lot of similarities. Uh, I, Viral immunologist by training, come from a biotech and pharma background, move into a CRO background, move into commercial, uh, a bit away from uh, hardcore science on this. You know, it's really interesting to find partners all the way on the other side of the globe. Uh, so well aligned with us. 360 has been a great partner already for bioagilytics. Looking forward to what we can build together here. From your perspective, tell us a little bit about 360 BioLabs, your overall capabilities, the capabilities that you add to bioagilytics as a whole, some of the unique aspects of 360 BioLabs also.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, it's probably, if I probably start um, back six years ago when 360 Biolabs started, that might be a, a good place to start. It was an interesting day uh, back in, uh, I think it was about March, March 30th in about 2014. It was the final day we were actually closed down the the Biota Pharmaceuticals uh, Laboratories in in Melbourne. You know, Biota had been one of the mainstays in the biotech sector in Australia. It had been around for about 30 years and um, the, the recent board changes and listing on the NASDAQ the team decided to um, close the laboratories in Australia and move the company to the USA. So you know having been there for 15 years and, and having the company do so much great research, it was a very sad day. So there was a team of about six or seven of us that were that were there until the end, closing down the laboratories, throwing everything out, selling all the equipment. As you can imagine, it's a, um, it's a difficult experience. But on the very last day it was it was interesting in that we actually had a meeting um, at the Burnett Institute which is a famous infectious diseases institute in Australia. Uh, we had a meeting with a deputy director to come and have a chat about potentially starting up a specialty lab and a CRO and uh, seeing if we could uh, hire some lab space. So on that same day that we were closing the door, a new opportunity was opening. Uh, so we met with um, the Burnett Institute. It was a very, very positive meeting. There was a small team at the Burnett Institute called the Immunomonitoring Facility, the IMF, They were operating in the clinical trial space only in immunology. Um, We had a team of four of us who were looking to to do clinical CRO or or specialty labs in virology only. So he listened to our our, um, story and said, I love it. It's fantastic. But what I think we can do is we can bring together your virology, we can bring together the IMF immunology, and we can start something new. And so that was how 360 Biolabs was launched. Um, And six years later, We've expanded our, our site from a very, very small a research and academic lab to a whole floor at the Institute. And then, as you know, October last year, um, we were looking for a partner for our clients, really. Um, we do a lot of phase one clinical trials, and we can get into that a little bit later, Jim. Uh, but a lot of our clients were asking us to continue on with them through into phase two clinical trials. And the only way we could do that was to open up laboratories outside of Australia. So we went on a search for a partner to be able to uh, help us through that process, and that's where we met Bioagiletics, and the rest is history there again. So now we obviously have sites right across the globe. So that's just a bit of a history of the company, just before I go into a bit of detail about um, our, our capabilities.
0: So one of the other interesting things about 360 BioLabs to me (laughs) is the fact that you've got three co-founders that are really part of the company, have been there from the start, have stayed with the company, really built uh, an amazing organization there in Australia. As you mentioned, uh, primarily around early phase clinical trials, phase one trials, some real advantages in Australia. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and sort of the structure that you've built there to support and why partnering with BioAgilytics became such a, a key element of your customer support there for 360.
1: Yeah, well, there's probably um, three countries that are, are mostly supportive of yeah. early phase clinical trials. So, so the U.S. obviously supports a lot of early phase clinical trials. Australia does as well and China. And in China, China mostly supports China clinical trials, but, you know, the most most outsourced clinical trials are really done in Australia and the USA as well. So Australia has a very favourable infrastructure in that you don't have to open an IND to do a clinical trial in Australia, so that can save you a lot of time. You also um, can get access to what's called our R&D tax incentive. So that's a tax incentive that will return 43% back to you. Uh, That's for all activities that are considered research and development. So that's really all your clinical trial work because a clinical trial is a big research experiment, really. You don't know the outcome. So it's all considered R&D. And also Australia is part of ICH. So given we're part of ICH, that means that um, there's mutual acceptance of data. So the US FDA, the MEA, everyone accepts the Australian data. So there's no compromise on quality when you're coming to Australia to conduct your clinical trial. So it's a very, very favourable environment for biotech companies. Obviously, if they're less funded, um, you know, speed and time is money. So therefore, they can save a lot of time and therefore, you know, be more cost effective. And they can also get to that first milestone that, you know, phase one clinical data that, you know, they're looking to partner with a larger pharmaceutical company. They can make that milestone earlier by conducting those clinical trials in Australia. And because we get such a diverse range of clinical trials coming into Australia, you know, the mindset that the three founders had at the start of um, 360 Biolabs was that we really had to be able to support any clinical trial that came. And this is how our diverse pharmacodynamic endpoints and support for clinical trials has just grown and grown and grown. First of all, it was more virology and immunology, and now it's expanded to a range of different therapeutic areas. And we've got small molecule PK support. We've got obviously a large immunology team. We've got a virology team, a molecular biology team. And so we can support all assays related to those different departments.
0: So 360 was able to grow based on the customers that were coming there as they became more diverse, more frequently tapping into the Australian advantages for phase one studies. Uh, 360 could benefit simultaneously. That's awesome. Must be an amazing feeling for you, Mel, and Al, the other two founders, really, to sort of watch what's happened to this thing that you've created. Not only just the personal satisfaction of building something, but how many different companies you're able to support. You know, one of the great things about being in the CRO business, right, is that. You're really tied to everyone's success. You're hoping everybody wins when we're out there, that when your customers come to you, want them to be successful and grow along with you. So how did 360 sort of spread word of mouth of, you know, hey, we're this CRO that's building our capabilities here. We want to support your phase one studies as you're coming to Australia to keep your samples in country. What was the approach there? Because you're in a unique position there, not only scientific background, but also leading the commercial efforts of the team.
1: Yeah, it was a great growing experience, really, and a great learning experience. I'm a person who really, really likes to learn new things. So going into the BD role was something a little different. Initially at 360, I was leading the R&D team. Um, But what we found is, you know, R&D scoped projects do change quite quickly. And so, you know, we decided to focus on on clinical and we closed down the R&D lab after the first two years and we had a restructure of the executive team and I moved into the BD team. So, you know, it was um, it was not a whole lot of experience bringing into that, that BD role, but, um, you know, it's, it seems to be reasonably successful. And that was really just through a lot of relationship building, identifying who was in clinical trials in Australia, how we could um, provide a solution for them. I got some some great advice along the way from some really fantastic mentors. And a lot of that advice was just get out there and pound the pavement brand recognition is everything. So, you know, there was a few years there pre-COVID where I was traveling once a month for nine months a year, just getting out there to conferences, only business conferences we chose very smartly. We were a very small team. You know, we only had sort of 30 or 40 of us for for many years. Uh, The company's up at about 90 now. But, um, yeah, In those earlier days, it was really all about getting out to those business conferences where you could have those face-to-face meetings and people could learn a little bit more about uh, the Australian Advantage, about 360 Biolabs, and then come and do some clinical work down under. Interestingly now, the great thing is, is when we go to some of these meetings, we get an opportunity to sell the advantages of, of doing clinical trials in the US as well. And so a client can say, yep, love the Australian Advantage, I'm coming down under, or they can say, that's not for me, I'm not going to the other side of the world to do a clinical trial, I want to stay in the US. That's okay as well, because bio can support a client anywhere, and, and that's the fantastic growth message, I think, and the excitement for, the, um, for Melinda, Alistair and myself, through the growth of, of the merger with um, BioAgeLytics. We can now take this company further.
0: Yeah, and I definitely wanna make sure we come back and talk a bit about COVID because there's an interesting story there for 360 and some of the support you built for sure. It's kind of hard to imagine a time when we were traveling uh, before all of this, you know, to think about uh, getting out there and pounding the pavement. As you said, we've become sort of pounding the video screen even as we're recording a podcast here. You're in Melbourne. I'm just outside of Boston. We've never actually met face-to-face other than on a screen, which is uh, also an interesting sort of relationship uh, building process in, in this world that we're living in right now. So, it's kind of an interesting follow-on from the phase one studies. You talked about wanting to be able to expand into the U.S. and expand globally. How about a little of what it was like before bioagiletics and then sort of the hope of what's going forward? Because one, we're already starting to see it, and I think we already have some success stories. But the thought process around having that work go global and what was really necessary to support your customers to eventually become bioagiletics customers for all of us.
1: Yeah, well, in those earlier days, it was a matter of forming partnerships with labs in the US, and we'd end up doing a great um, study and support and provide some fantastic data for this phase one clinical trial. And you know what it takes? Some of these biotech companies have never done a clinical trial before. So, you know, given our backgrounds in the biotechnology and pharma space, you know, we'd be able, we've would be we been in their shoes, and, and that's something our clients really love. They know we know what we're doing because we've already taken out, well, we did take our products to the clinic but then we could also hold the hands along their journey as well. And so you form very good relationships with some of these companies. And so to then say, thanks very much, off you go to phase two to the US, it was, you know, it was at times quite hard. You know, you spend every other week for months, sort of working together, getting assays developed and validated, and then you're providing data to see their their cohorts dose and escalate through into the next cohort, and then a successful clinical trial and phase one data out the other side. So you're going through this journey with your clients for for six to eight months. That it's it feels like then you're just saying goodbye to an old friend. So you know the fantastic part about joining with BioAgilix is we could still be in contact with our clients and. Um, We've got some great experiences at the moment and we are only acquired a few months ago, but some really great examples where we have got phase one clients who are looking to continue on with bioanalytics through into the US. It makes, you know, we, we don't necessarily have assays that will transfer immediately across, but there is some additional work to be done. But you've got the mindset and you've also got the expertise of the Australian and the US teams that can come together and make sure that that transition of assays is a very streamlined process. It means that the high quality assays that would develop for phase one that might need some additional work for phase twos as all assays do, can get done in that same high quality scientific environment. It's a win-win for clients to continue on with us through to phase
0: two. Yeah, and it's it's no different than actually being on the on the other side of the fence here, you feel, some ownership and partnership with that customer, having been with the program so long, right? You want to see them succeed. You've learned a lot about their biology or maybe the disease area that they're working in. You might be just as curious as they are about how this thing's going to turn out for sure. Well, that's great. So 360 serves a lot of areas. I do think one of the bedrock strengths of 360 is certainly its virology and vaccine support want to talk a little bit about the unique aspects of doing that work at 360, doing it in Australia in particular. Just in general, how about let's talk a little bit about what vaccine trials look like in Australia. What are the unique aspects that you're able to support there that your customers value um, that running at 360 makes a difference for them?
1: Yeah, there's a whole range of different vaccine studies that are conducted in Australia and and some of the studies that we've supported to date include, you know, RSV, influenza, a lot of influenza work actually, EV71, Zika, chikungunya virus, we've done peanut allergy vaccines, a stack of COVID which we can go into, but a whole range of different uh, vaccine studies come down to Australia The most benefit that a client gets from utilising the Southern Hemisphere is probably more related to the seasonal virus vaccines. So, you know, RSVs, influenza, um, you can do your Northern Hemisphere study and you can flip straight down to the Southern Hemisphere and follow on that season without losing any time. We have had clients that have said to us, we've probably saved six months and millions of dollars by being able to flip straight to the Southern Hemisphere and not wait for the next Northern Hemisphere influenza season, for example. So, you know, because we've got quality systems and also alignment amongst um, how clinical trials are run in the US as well as Australia, it's a very easy transition down, down to Australia. So there really are some advantages there, particularly for those seasonal flu as well as seasonal respiratory virus vaccine studies. And it's interesting, it was um, very fortuitous that we opened up at the Burnett Institute as well, because the Burnett have had a um, category three laboratory, I think in Australia, it's called a physical containment three, you call it a BSL three laboratory. So we've got CAT two, CAT three labs, which allows us then to support a whole range of different virus endpoints. Um, I think at the moment, we're all going to be working on a vaccinia virus clinical trial as well. So, you know, it, it's really quite a, a diverse offering you can offer. And, you know, given, given we're in a biotech company uh, in our um, previous lives, and we were developing assays against respiratory viruses, you know, it allows us really to use any, any type of assay endpoint. To be able to support that vaccine clinical trial. So, we're doing micronutes, we're doing HEIs, we're, we're doing plaque reduction assays, we're doing PRNTs, TCRD50s, you know, everything that you can imagine you would need to measure the endpoint of a virus, the team can do because we've done it before. We've got a massive re- repository of cells, we've got a massive repository of viruses. And so, you know, it just allows us to be able to develop assays or client specific assays really quite quickly and streamlined.
0: So that's a fascinating sort of aspect of 360. I never really thought about the seasonality and the ability to work around the clock essentially all year round. So because of the, the nature of the, the rapid entry into a phase, study, phase one study in Australia, do people typically start in Australia and then go to the US or go to Europe? To do that seasonality, or are they actually separate? That they can start on either end and then make it work by bringing the the samples and testing to 360.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question, Jim. And we do get that often. There's a couple of phase two clinical trials that um, clients have decided they just want to open a sustra- Australian subsidiary to claim the R&D tax incentive and just send all their samples down to Australia for analysis. And that's been working really, really well. So we developed a suite of assays for one particular company, supported them for one aspect, and they moved that uh, study through into a phase two B and we're continuing to support them as well. So, you know, clients have the option of either starting it in Europe or US and then coming down under or starting their phase one in, in Australia. And I think a really good example of how successful that has been is, is a company, Novavax, who's, who's doing the COVID vaccine, doing COVID vaccine, well, still phase three study. Um, you know, it is in the public domain that we're supporting Novavax. So, this won't be a surprise to, to anyone listening. Um, So Novavax did start their phase one down in Australia. It was a very successful clinical trial. It was quite quick. Uh, And then they moved to phase two and phase three globally. Uh, They've continued to use 360 BioLabs and our uh, virology team have certainly had a wonderful experience and it's been very exciting to be able to watch um, a vaccine come now down to Australia. The TGA, for example, just um, approved the Novavax vaccine last Thursday so it will roll out in Australia and so you know it's a great story that we've been along on the ride with Novavax and that we've also been able to provide the data that's got them through a lot of the regulatory agencies. Obviously we we haven't have supported every aspect of their clinical trial it's mostly been micro testing but um, you know I think that goes to show that for a large biotech company like Novavax choosing a, a lab in Australia to support their program um, you know it's just kudos to us I think.
0: So that's great. And that must be incredibly satisfying to be really on the front lines of sort of fighting back against this pandemic that we're all, unfortunately, two years into dealing with. And being a part of that development work must be very satisfying, very rewarding. The things that we all point to of saying, yes, I did get a chance to work on that drug that got approved that's helping people. I want to talk a little bit about that because Oftentimes, uh, people think about how biotech and pharma companies mobilized themselves to start making new vaccine candidates and using new technologies. But I think lost on a lot of people is on the back end of that the tools that were necessary to characterize these things, to be able to quantitate the vaccine, the immune response, the antibodies to it. Is it actually developing protective immunity, uh, antibodies that have some level of protection, which 360 was well involved in and a big part of coming up with a whole suite of assays to support these things. What was the moment where maybe the three of you or your entire team sort of sat down and said, wow, we've got to get out in front of this. We're perfectly suited to be a part of this. If only we do this, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it was. So what was that discussion like? Maybe roughly when did it happen in the sort of timeline of things here? And what came next for 360 at that point?
1: I love that question, Jim, because there was this moment and it was in March Uh, It was probably February, actually, 2020. So, you know, we were seeing COVID around the world. We knew it was going to come to Australia. You know, 360 felt that, you know, the clinical trial sector would probably start to slow down as COVID hit Australia. Uh, Phase one units would close um, and the whole sector and also the business could be at jeopardy. So to risk mitigate, we thought, let's go back to our roots a little bit. Let's open up the R&D team again. Let's see if we can grabbed the virus from a local lab, the Doherty Institute, who has been really world renowned during the whole of the um, pandemic in Australia. The team has been doing a lot of um, epidemiology and being able to predict essentially what maximum infection rates we would get on a weekly and monthly basis. And they've been very accurate. So it's it's a fantastic institute. And they did, they were the first ones to isolate the virus outside of China. And that was back in, in January, 2020. So we contacted the Institute. Um, the Institute were, were happy to, to provide us for research purposes uh, a vial of the virus. Uh, we then did obviously propagate it. And then we advertised that we were supporting R&D projects. We got this absolute flood just a flood of requests. Everyone was wanting hand sanitizers. Everyone was had this next aerosolizer that was able to, you know, clear the virus from the air. You know, we had the most weird and wonderful requests. It was an insane experience. Every single day, I don't even know how my mobile phone number got out there, Jim, but every single day I would have 10 or 12 calls, just random calls, asking if 360 Biolabs could support um, some crazy idea they had for a cure. For, for COVID. So we probably spent from March to July entertaining some of these ideas, doing a lot of work in our PC3 lab, trying to prove that some of these potential therapeutics and potential uh, antiseptics um, could work. And, you know, to be honest, I say weird and wonderful, but there was probably five or six different amazing outcomes that came for companies who have then taken their product further, whether that be a a mask that really does inactivate the virus or a nasal spray from Star Pharma. So, you know, there were some great outcomes that came from that work. But what we found in Australia is the clinical trial sector didn't close down. It didn't slow down. The business was considered essential and so therefore clinical trials stayed open in Australia. So about July that year, we then closed back down the uh, R&D lab because we were just continuing on with too much vaccine work. Obviously, we'd secured the Novavax clinical trial and others were coming through as well. I think we've supported 12 to 15 now in the last two years. And so we really did need that expertise into the clinical team. So, so we let go the R&D team again, as in let go, close down, moved those team across to the clinical team and continued to support vaccine work. But it was the most amazing experience. I've, I've never experienced anything in my life, the flood of requests and the desperation of people to get their products onto market as we did over that five or six months
0: so i I guess i should take the bait on at least part of this and ask what was the absolute craziest thing that someone came to you with
1: we we had this yeah (laughs) we had this one group um believed that they had an aerosolizer that was going to be able to cleanse the air and you know the concept fine not a problem with that but when they described to us how they wanted us to do the experiment that was the problem all they wanted us to do was to go into our PC3 lab, aerosolise the virus, use the instrument and prove that it's not in the air. So trying to explain to a lay person that how could I keep my team safe from infection from COVID by aerosolizing the virus in the laboratory, it's the one thing we do, Jim. It's the one thing we do as virologists and in a category three laboratory. Try not to aerosolize the virus. As soon as you have a spill and it aerosolizes, you leave the lab. <laughs> so that was the most bizarre experience just because a layperson doesn't really understand the scientific aspect of how you would do the experiment to prove their product was going to work.
0: It almost sounds like it's, it's a version of the origin of the virus and how <laughs> it got out there. The last thing you want to do is lose containment of this thing. So... Okay, wow, so um, that's great. You know, we actually um, saw quite a bit of that on, on our side of the, uh, of the globe here too, of people that had a lot of interesting ideas, all well-meaning. Everyone's trying to sort of chip in. It's probably one of the great things, one of the great scientific efforts of the past couple of years. Of have seen people mobilize themselves for, for um, more than just um, their own good, but for the common good. But man, there's a lot of things that have been kicked around as science that haven't necessarily really looked like science by the time we were done with it. You mentioned that you contributed to the COVID work, sort of created some of the things that you were doing, and then immediately got back into the vaccine work, right? I mean, I guess that's the other thing is that the the layperson has been just overwhelmed with COVID for the past two years. You see it on the news, you read it everywhere you go, you're thinking about it because you're masked up when you're going out. But there's a whole host of other things that are going on out there from a research standpoint um, that other drugs and other things that we're trying to deal with as a company and other biotech and pharma companies are doing. You've mentioned a number of different viruses. 360 as a virology-based lab and a vaccine-based lab can contribute to a lot of things that are Uh, just as troublesome in the world as something like COVID right now? Certainly not the the sheer numbers we've seen in the last two years, but influenza, RSV, a a lot of these things. What's been the impact and involvement for 360 on those types of programs?
1: Yeah, so influenza is very popular in Australia. So, you know, there's a great um, series of phase one units in Australia. So healthy volunteer studies are conducted in phase ones, in australia and and they're very sophisticated phase one units in australia there's five of them and i think the main um, team that does vaccine studies is a nucleus network team so they have a brisbane lab they have an infectious diseases expert who is one of their principal investigators so they do conduct a lot of vaccine studies up in brisbane so influenza is probably one of the main viruses that, that comes down under, one of the main uh, vaccines that is, that is supported. There's, there's a bit of RSV as well, as you mentioned, but really they're the main two respiratory viruses that come down to Australia for vaccine studies.
0: On average, I mean, how many programs per year do you think are being conducted for those types of studies? Let's just take influenza um, that people are working on in, in the Australian market.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's a huge amount, unfortunately. Um I think there's probably, you know, probably only a handful of vaccine studies in one particular virus space. You know, because Australia is attractive for so many biotech companies, um, we don't tend to specialise in one particular area. Vaccines is high, infectious diseases is is something that Uh, a lot of clients come to Australia for but you know there's a lot of oncology that's done in Australia there's also a lot of cardiovascular there's a lot of immunity inflammation those sorts of areas I think I think Australia's in the top 10 for a range of, of different therapeutic areas including some of those that I just mentioned so you know even though Australia has this wonderful infrastructure and also this wonderful expertise in vaccine studies it's just one of the therapeutic areas that that Australia supports in that early phase sector.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I know that just from my prior experience, I've worked with a lot of the oncology centers there, Peter Mack and some of the others, a lot of experience there and great science and great investigational studies, great infrastructure, as you said, too, for doing this work. So we've talked a lot about sort of where 360 came from uh, the past couple of years, as, as it's been interesting with COVID support and other vaccines. Maybe just a couple of minutes now as we start to wrap up around the idea of where is 360 headed? You know, what are your areas for growth there? What are you thinking and looking forward to growing along with BioAgeLytics in our new partnership together?
1: Yes. So, you know, 360 Biolabs now being a bioanalytics company, you know, I, I don't necessarily think of 360 Biolabs too much anymore. I guess our brand recognition is pretty great in Australia. So it makes sense to keep the 360 name. But, you know, we're, we're thinking more of a, a global business now. Um, we're continuing to grow in, in Australia so that our laboratory um, footprint is bigger so that we can keep expanding. There's lots of, because the attraction to Australia is so great for early phase work, you know, there's, There's a lot of talk about additional phase one units opening up in Australia so that we can support more clinical trials. So the sector itself in Australia is growing, and so as 360 Biolabs has to expand with that or... You know there'll be another competitor that will open up in Australia and be able to take some of that work. So you know we're about to double double our footprint in in Melbourne, uh, opening a second site, and we're also continuing to grow our um, our Brisbane lab as well. At the moment it's a small processing lab for clinical trials that are conducted and samples that need to be processed within a matter of hours. Um, but we expect to really open that lab up to be a much um, a much bigger team so that we can support more studies um, at both the Melbourne and Brisbane sites as well. So for us, it's still a growth story. And I think, you know, that's consistent with the bio growth
0: story globally. Yeah, absolutely. So are there new sort of service lines or, or thinking about new therapeutic areas that you're interested in getting into? What will be the new, aside from new footprint, you know, what are the new areas of technology that you're looking forward to?
1: Yeah, I I think molecular, really. We get a lot of requests for molecular assays that we either use partner labs in Australia. But having that expertise in-house would be really, really great. Uh, Certainly in the oncology space, there's a lot of bespoke assays that we do work with. You mentioned Peter Mack before. There's some great um, oncology labs in Australia that, that are supporting some of those studies. But you know, some of those labs don't necessarily or they can't necessarily support PK or ADA, for example. So you know if you've got to use two different labs to support your clinical trial, a client is sometimes going to back away from that. You know, in Australia we find the one-stop shop or the placing all the work with the one lab is the preferred model. So you know if, if 360 can expand some of the services into the genomic space. I mean, I think that's where a lot of a lot of clinical trials are heading in the future anyway, then uh, we'll be able to offer a a more comprehensive service.
0: All right. Great. Yeah. And I think all of our services became more comprehensive through this partnership now that we have such complementary capabilities and, and help fill each other's gaps. And it's been great talking with you uh, this afternoon here, this afternoon my time, this morning your time. Um, Thanks so much for taking the time to educate us a little bit on 360 and come on the podcast. It's already been a great collaboration with you and your team, looking forward to what we're gonna build in the future here. So thank you so much.
1: Pleasure, Jim. Thanks for having me.
0: The Molecular Moments Podcast, sponsored by BioAgilitics, is an ongoing conversation about the various nuances of drug development and bioanalysis. In each episode, we sit down with a different industry leader to explore their area of expertise, the industry as a whole, and the mentors who helped them become the scientists they are today. It's a podcast for scientists by scientists. Listen and subscribe to Molecular Moments today on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to your podcast content. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Molecular Moments Podcast.